It's Friday, December 20th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. This year, many iconic toy brands are hitting milestone anniversaries. Barbie is 60, Sesame Street is 40, Little Mermaid is 30, and SpongeBob is 20. And while no kid wants an old toy, toy makers are repackaging these classics into special edition versions. Updated toys for the kids, but capitalizing on the nostalgia factor for the parents. Ellen Byron, reporter for the Wall Street Journal, joins us for how toy companies are navigating these age milestones. Next, be careful what you buy from third-party sellers on Amazon. You could be buying trash, literally. Some sellers are buying liquidation items or even dumpster diving and then turning around and selling them on Amazon. As an experiment, some Wall Street Journal reporters went trash picking, set up a store on Amazon, and sold their dumpster product. Khadija Safdar, reporter for the Wall Street Journal, joins us for how some third-party sellers are using a program called Fulfillment by Amazon to get away with this. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Barbie has had over 200 careers since she was launched in 1959. And so to celebrate that, the Barbie career anniversary dolls highlight six of the most popular professions she's held, including astronaut, athlete, firefighter, and political candidate. Joining us now is Ellen Byron, reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Ellen. Hi, nice to be here. With the holiday season upon us, there's always talks about gifts and toys specifically. And right now there's an interesting thing happening. There's a bunch of milestone anniversaries coming for a lot of well-known brands that have been around for a long time. Barbie, Sesame Street, SpongeBob Mm -hmm. SquarePants, The Little Mermaid, uh, even board games are having this moment right now. And it's interesting because when you're marketing to children, you always want to make things seem new and fresh. But it helps to hit that nostalgia factor for the parents and the people that are actually buying those toys. So what are toy makers doing right now? Well, they're doing a lot of balancing. They are trying to convey to the grown-ups that these iconic toys are having a really big milestone birthday. Like you mentioned, Barbie is 60, SpongeBob is 20. So these are big opportunities and competitive advantages to catching busy shoppers' attention. But at the same time, they don't want to make children try to care about such birthdays because they tell me, you know, children and don't necessarily want nostalgia when it comes to a new toy. They want a new toy. (laughs) Right, exactly. But for those parents, (laughs) you know, we want kids to experience the things that we loved when we were kids. So hitting on that nostalgia factor is important. It's like, well, I played with a Barbie when I was a young kid. I was like, I want my kids to do the same type of thing. And what's happening is in a lot of the packaging, they're putting that 60th anniversary marker on there. But That's it. Everything else is kind of updated to cater to what the kids want right now. They're really taking this dual approach. So tags, packaging, we'll talk all about these big anniversaries. But then when the child opens up the packaging and just is holding the toy, they won't necessarily know or see those ages. Now, one of the more interesting examples of this is SpongeBob SquarePants Nickelodeon aired a birthday special celebrating SpongeBob turning 20. And the episode actually didn't say how old he was. It was just that he was celebrating a birthday. So let's go through some of these examples. You started off with SpongeBob there, but Barbie is 60 years old right now. And one of the things that have changed, you know, 
60 years ago, the typical Barbie fan was eight to 10 years old. That's why there was things like fashion and something that a kid that was a little older could understand. Right now, they can be as young as four. So they're trying to really broaden it out. And they're releasing a line of Barbie career anniversary dolls. And these are like some of the more popular careers that Barbie has had over her time. So Barbie, Mattel tells me, has had over 200 careers since she was launched in 1959. And so to celebrate that, the Barbie career anniversary dolls highlight six of the most popular professions she's held, including astronaut, athlete, firefighter, and political candidate. I couldn't nail down which one that was until I read the story. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. She's wearing like a skirt, like a little proper sweater or something. I don't know. (laughs) But the the main anniversary doll that they have, the 60th anniversary doll, that one comes in a, a little pricer. That's a $60 toy right there. So obviously people who are nostalgic for their own Barbie dolls will be drawn to that. Or if they want to pass along their own affection for Barbie onto the children in their life, they'll want to pass that along. And there you also see that balancing act that toy makers are doing when it comes to anniversaries. So this 60th anniversary Barbie has subtle references to the original 1959 Barbie. The gown has black and white aspects to it, much like the 1959 Barbie's black and white swimsuit head. And then the anniversary Barbie has this high ponytail and this coy sideways glance that's just like the original doll. And both dolls wear hoop earrings. So adult fans of Barbie will likely make those connections, especially if they're a diehard fan. Whereas a child getting this doll will simply say, wow, what a pretty Barbie doll. Right. And it's so important for these companies to really revitalize these brands and keep them coming because the average life of a toy brand is three to five years. So if you have something like Barbie going for 60 years, that's really impressive. Another one that's hitting a a big milestone is Sesame Street. They're hitting 50 years. What are they doing to revitalize it? They are using their 50th to make somewhat unusual connections with partners that they haven't worked with before and they see as somewhat unconventional. For example, Sesame Street teamed up with Bombas Socks and Bombas made a line of Sesame Street inspired socks for both adults and children. And Sesame Street also paired with Isaac Mizrahi for a line of clothing. So they really are using this anniversary as a reason to connect with somewhat unconventional partners to broaden the reach of their brand to adults, but at the same time, try to stay true to the preschoolers they really serve with their TV show. And they also are doing that with special commemorative Sesame Street toys. So yes, there is a commemorative Elmo. He's $45 and 20 inches high instead of the standard 13. He also has softer, curlier fur. And all of those special aspects, toy makers say, will help convince grown-ups to buy yet another Elmo for the children (laughs) in their life, but also to convince retailers that they should be squeezing another Elmo onto their shelf. We all remember how big the talking Elmo was when it came out. (laughs) The Little Mermaid is hitting 30 years. They're doing something really smart by kind of expanding the universe a little bit, selling dolls of Ariel's sisters. So now you have like three different mermaids to play with. But the one that I want to talk about is Lego Star Wars. That's hitting 20 years old. And it was just interesting because the people we were talking to that are helping design some of these anniversary editions, they presented some of the old sets to children and they didn't like them. So that one really needed a redesign so that kids would want to play with these. 
The creative director for Lego Star Wars walked me through how they did this design process. And so they took the earliest sets that they had made from 1999, took them to a panel of children and said, what do you think? And the children didn't exactly like them. They thought that they looked very blocky and old. So Lego realized it would need to redesign its most popular Star Wars sets. So they gave them some modern features for this anniversary collection that they put out this year. And that included adding more curved blocks. So Lego diehards will know that today's Lego sets often include some curved blocks to make models seem a little more realistic to whatever they're recreating. And they also are using more accurate colors that more closely resemble the ships on Star Wars films. Even Princess Leia's side buns got tweaked a bit. (laughs) But then on top of that, the creative director told me that he had to keep his own nostalgia in check when he was designing this, when he saw one of his favorite models be handed to these children, and they weren't that excited about playing with them. And so he knows that was just reality, but it was a little difficult in the moment. Ellen Byron, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Here we are outside Trader Joe's. We're with The Wall Street Journal looking through the dumpster to see whether we can find items that we can sell on Amazon. And what's this? Sunflower seeds? Yeah, it's sealed. It's sealed. There's a barcode. Let's take it. Joining us now is Khadija Safdar, reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Khadija. Thank you so much for having me. You know, there's tons of stories always going on about Amazon. One of the latest investigations that you guys did there at the Wall Street Journal was looking into this whole third-party seller program that they have on Amazon. You know, anybody can really sign up for a little marketplace there and sell items new and used as long as they're properly marked. But I guess you guys got word that people were selling things from the trash, literally. People were dumpster diving and repackaging things and selling them off. And Amazon doesn't necessarily check the origin of a lot of these products a lot of times. So, Khadija, start us off by telling us how this story came to you guys, and then we'll get into all sorts of other fun stuff. Because you guys actually set up your own store, went dumpster diving, and sold those products on Amazon. So start us at the beginning. So we found sellers who said that they were basically able to offer items from the trash, clean them up, mark them as new, and sell them on Amazon with the Prime logo. And basically, this came from the idea that their sellers are trying to find items as cheaply as possible. And while we were exploring this world of the way people source inventory, we found that they are often sourcing other people's rejects. So this means customer returns, items from thrift stores, abandoned storage units, and sometimes they're even turning to commercial dumpsters to find goods to sell on Amazon. And then many of those dumpster divers, they actually document the hunting process on YouTube channels. So I talked to several of those folks and... They gave me kind of an explanation of why they do it, how they go about doing it. But we really felt in order to understand whether this was as easy as they said it was and just to fact check each step of the process and also to test out Amazon's screening process that we had to kind of see for ourselves. So that's why we decided to carry out this whole thing as an experiment. So let's go through this process. Amazon, I know for their part, it says, you know, you're not supposed to be selling trash, things like that. If an item is used, you should be marking it as such. But really where all of this kind of comes together is the fulfillment by Amazon program where these third party sellers can send their products to a fulfillment center from Amazon. From there, Amazon does all the work of actually shipping the product out. 
there's a couple things that happen there. On the website, it's labeled Prime, so people know that they can get that free shipping and get it shipped quickly. And then the boxing, the, the packaging changes. It comes in Amazon packaging. So people are really thrown off by that. They think that it's official products or brand new products. And you also see the Amazon shipping label, too, on those boxes. So I did some reporting about the warehouse vetting process, which is also part of the story. And there are warehouse workers inside those facilities that are supposed to flag items if they see something that's broken. So I talked to a number of them. They said that the volume is just so large and that they often ignore things, even if they see them broken. And basically, there's some instances where some workers, they change expiration dates in the computer system so they don't have to go through the complicated disposal process throwing out these items. Because you have to remember that these workers, they're being timed. So, like, they have a certain quota of bins and different items that they have to scan in a certain time frame. So, a lot of them said that, you know, it's really hard to be meeting all those time requirements and then also execute all these additional tasks. Changing expiration dates on certain things, I mean, that's pretty bad just to get out of having to do a little bit of extra work. But some of that does get reflected on the comment sections. People do when they find something, hey, this is expired or these products are coming in and they're faulty or moldy. There's some pretty crazy horror stories that come from third party sellers. We did a deep analysis of comment section on certain kinds of products, so like over-the-counter medication, food, makeup, and we found that there was a lot of comments where people were complaining about packaging being unsealed, where with medication being expired, baby formula expired, moldy protein bars. So customers are often receiving faulty, compromised products, and then they do some portion of those customers do end up leaving reviews on the website, and then they may end up requesting a refund. And Amazon does have a pretty generous refund policy. You mentioned the uh, moldy protein bars. There was uh, somebody that said, my daughter has eaten a handful of them and called me into the kitchen today to show me there was mold on the bar she had eaten half of. So nobody wants to hear any of that stuff. And as I said at the beginning, you know, it's all about the Amazon Prime labels and even these Amazon Choice labels where a lot of these products get that slapped on there and people kind of get this false sense of security thinking they're getting something official or brand new. That's one of the things that we heard a lot about just the FBA process, because when these third party sellers send those items into the FBA warehouse, they do end up being able to have that prime logo. And then it's really hard for the average consumer to be able to distinguish when they're looking at an item, like who's selling it. And then Amazon also has something called commingling, which is a default setting where when you're buying an item from a particular seller, that might not be the seller whose item you're getting. So they might send a different seller's item for efficiency's sake. Let's talk about the store that you guys set up. You were actually part of a team of reporters there that went dumpster diving, got a few items, listed them on Amazon. Tell us about that whole process. Me and a colleague of mine, we went dumpster diving. And the main reason was we wanted to test out how easy this really is. We wanted to understand, first of all, whether stores are really throwing away enough goods in the trash for that look legitimate enough that it would make sense for somebody to go through those items. And then secondly, whether Amazon's process even allows for something like this. So we went dumpster diving behind stores like Michael, Trader Joe's, and we were able to find dozens of items that were unopened. And it was pretty easy, actually, to sell them on the site. We were asked for a driver's license and a statement, so that was provided by a reporter. And what we did was we sold three items on the store, a sheet of scrapbook paper, a stencil set, and a Trader Joe's jar of lemon curd. And each of those items, we waited for them to be listed, and then we purchased those items back ourselves just because we didn't want anyone to end up with garbage. Right. 
And you guys did sign up to that fulfillment by Amazon program as well, right? So we paid $39.99 a month to set up the account. Then we had to pay additional storage fees. So the longer you leave an item at the warehouse, the more the storage fees can rack up. But then I just wanted to make the point that when you're dumpster diving, you're getting the item completely free. So it's just all profit, aside from the Amazon fees. And what was the condition of the products when they came back to you? The stencil set was bent in half, so it was actually in worse condition when we got it back through the mail. And the stencil set and the piece of paper, they were repackaged in Amazon box and Amazon envelope and then were sent back to us. The lemon curd jar actually came back in the exact same box with the exact same tape with the same exact bubble wrap. So it doesn't look like anyone even opened it. And it had an Amazon label affixed to the top. What about the company, you know, like a company like Trader Joe's, when something like this happens with their products, have they made any type of statements regarding this? So Trader Joe's said that they don't approve of the sale of their products on Amazon, that they can only guarantee freshness and quality standards at their own stores. They also said that they don't throw away items unless they're unfit for sale. So when they're throwing away items, basically that they're either returned, unsealed, there's a foreign matter in the object, there's a range of possibilities, but that was the explanation they gave for why they threw away what they threw away. What has been the reaction from Amazon themselves? Because you did this as an experiment, you set up the store, obviously you bought the items back so nobody would get trash. Amazon did eventually shut down your online marketplace there, but what has their official reaction been to this? Amazon didn't have a policy explicitly prohibiting the sale of trash when we set up the store, but they did add language after we revealed our store to them last month. So we went to them to seek comment. They said these are isolated incidences and they would investigate the matter. And the language that they added was basically to their restricted products. And it was like long verbiage, but it basically means that you can no longer take items out of the trash. These are extreme cases. Obviously, you specifically set up this experiment to get items from a trash bin and sell it on Amazon. I know the reports are that there have been people that have done it and and documented those exploits on YouTube and things like that. But it's not 100% that, you know, there's people that, as you mentioned before, buy things liquidation style. So they buy a bunch of products, they sift through it, and some of those items are still in decent condition. And some might consider this kind of in that same vein, you know, you're buying items at a lower price point and selling them for a higher markup. But that's also going on, too. Because this is like a third-party marketplace, they're looking for creative ways to source items on the cheap. And there's a ton of different ways that you can do that. So one of those ways is liquidation boxes. So when a big box chain doesn't feel like they can sell an item anymore because it's been returned or excess inventory, they ship them in huge boxes to liquidation companies, which then offer them on e-commerce sites. So you can get them pretty cheap. And then these folks, what they do is they dig through these boxes. They look for items that look legitimate, that they think that they can turn a profit online and they sell them. Another way that's like these abandoned storage units. So sometimes these storage companies, when somebody doesn't pay their bills for a storage unit, will auction off the items. And so they will go through the storage unit to look for new items or something that they can sell online. And they will do that. And sometimes people look in thrift stores, like you can use your imagination in different kinds of ways where you can find items. Khadija Safdar, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. That's it for this week. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. 
Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.